one. Okay, now we're recording. Now Perfect. we're live. Hello, Hi, how are Maddie. you? <laughs> I'm fantastic, thank you. Good. How are you? The stress levels are doing okay. <sighs> yeah, I think so. Okay. <laughs> I think my rehearsals wine is really are going gonna... fine. Yes, because yeah. I don't have to go to them. That's why. <laughs> yeah. That's funny. Yeah, you, you just come in and do your dramaturg presentation and then like they stare at you. Yeah. That's it's fine. <laughs> That's nice. It's all good. It's all good. That's yeah. Awesome. I'm, I'm I was happy with what I did. Yeah. And do you have um, to go back for any time? I'll be or? back. Um I'm I'll be back, yeah. Yeah. Definitely. I'm 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 always lurking in the around. Yeah. <laughs> You've got your like your special dramaturg glasses on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. With my cape. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> You've got your little beret in the yes. back. <laughs> in the corner, yeah. Yeah, and your turtleneck. Mhm. Mhm. It's, it's the look. How yeah. are how are you doing? I'm good. I have a I'm starting a new gig tomorrow. Um which, Congratulations. Thank you. I'm I'm mostly looking forward to um recovering all the funds i lost during my unemployment so that will be nice um yeah i just have like just my eye on the prize at, at right. this moment in time so <laughs> we're gonna be we're gonna be living in luxury soon yeah <laughs> i mean i don't know about luxury time. but fingers crossed about that yeah um but yeah my week went by okay i've just been doing a lot of like last minute I don't know, just errands, adult things, and yeah, it's just been a lot, but mostly it's been going smooth, no mental breakdowns, no crying, it's okay, everything's fine. <laughs> Sometimes I like to run errands, I like to like feel like I'm getting shit done, you know? I I feel the same, I enjoy errands, I have recently just been super lazy, like whenever I need to well I think mostly in my situation it's been so depressing and cold here and rainy I think the last know, two weeks it's been like raining every other day and uh, it's been cold yeah. rainy and windy um and it just makes for a very oppressive <laughs> feeling <laughs> so um but yeah no it's fine I've, well, I've gotten so much done in the last couple of weeks the sun is coming. I, I have to believe it. At least that's what I'm no. telling myself is that the sun will come. Yeah. No, he has risen. We, exactly. <laughs> happy Easter. Yeah. Happy Easter to all, all who observe. Um, I was going to go to service this morning, but I just had to sleep. And also it was cold and I do feel very guilty. It's um, Orthodox Palm Sunday today. And then next week is Greek Easter so I'll either go maybe once for like the one of the services this week or I'll go on Sunday. Um, either way, I have been praying a lot today. <laughs> yeah. Just because I have like a very busy week ahead of me and I've just been like, oh my God, I just like need to pray so hard uh, like 10 times a day. <laughs> right. I'm going to pray for you so hard. That's a play that um, Haley Pfeiffer, Hallie Pfeiffer wrote. <laughs> uh, what? Hallie Pfeiffer wrote a play called I'm Gonna Pray For You So Hard. And it's about like this father and daughter who like had a falling out and then they try to like mend the relationship, but it doesn't really go very well. It's a really good oh, play. That's interesting. Is that recent yeah. or is that like contemporary or? It's contemporary, yeah. It yeah. came out like in 20, I saw it in 2017. Yeah. It's good. That's cool. Yeah. I, I've actually been reading a lot 
more in the past couple of weeks because I've am suffering a lot of like cultural lethargy, like everything on TV like doesn't really interest me. Um, right. If I'm watching TV, I'm like looking for people I know, like my friends, you know. Um, but other right. than that, I I don't know, like everything on TV, I'm just like I don't have time. Like I just need to read. So I don't know. I've been picking up a lot of the. Um, I don't know. For the past couple of days, I've been reading the myth of Sisyphus recently because oh, it's just very it, it it keeps you going. You know what I'm saying? Exactly. Like, it gives you context. Yeah, it gives you context, keeps you going. You get a lot of good like one liners in there and um, a lot of good anecdotes and a lot of uh, literature references. So mm. at the end of the day, it's better for you than it is, you know, watching something like trashy and like disposable. So. I just finished watching Morris on T- on Tubi. What what is that? <laughs> Morris is the the Ian Forrester book that like he couldn't publish in his lifetime because it was it had gay subject matter, and um, it's a very good movie. Interesting. It was very. It was like there was a lot of male nudity, and I, I was nice. Very happy. <laughs> nice. I just watched something recently with like. I don't know what I, male I just nudity? watch the most random things when I'm bored. I have no idea. Was there what male nudity I... involved? Probably. <laughs> I don't know what the hell I just watched. I don't know. It just it, everything I watch is like so transient. <laughs> right. I also put on right before I went to bed last night. Color me Kubrick, and I didn't finish it, but I'm gonna finish it tonight. I know I will. Oh yeah, definitely. Because it. And it has John Malkovich. And I think that we should cover it on the pod because it's about like a guy, a con artist mm-hmm. who's like posing as Stanley Kubrick. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, it's something very relatable. As somebody who right. like has a job and is facing a lot of um, actor uh, prejudice uh, right now, you know, I don't, I don't love to disclose to people that I'm an actor because I, you know, people have some misconceptions about that you know the the stigma that colors you as an actor um but uh yeah no i i definitely relate <laughs> yeah and like i don't know i'm just, i'm very interested in the con artist maybe we can do yeah. that episode with like tartuffe for something yeah definitely well should we i mean we ha- i took a lot of notes over i did pa- too I'm, um, I'm excited i have like i look like a crazy person over here because i oh, have like th- one, yeah. two, three, <laughs> four, five, six pages of like small like notepad notes over here. Well, there's just so much, but I also um, wanted to say that I'm glad that people really enjoyed our episode with George. Oh, that was an amazing episode. Yeah. I, I, it's very rare that I get to talk to other um, actors that I consider peers of mine because. It's just, it's just weird. Like you bump into someone, you're like, oh God, like somebody gets it. You know what I'm saying? Like right. someone knows the struggle, you know, quote unquote. Um, and yeah, it's a very like niche, uh, kind of cerebral like experience and journey to be entrenched in. And it's so true that there really isn't any one uh, recipe or direct lineage to quote unquote success or booking, mm. et cetera. It's just like 
shit happens and everyone has their own path and sometimes you're in the right place at the right time sometimes it's literally just god that because <laughs> i was thinking out I, I was like oh any of the booking that i have ever achieved in my life has really come out um out you know it, it's all it's always happened without me even having to try it just kind of falls into your lap and you're just in the right place at the right time and that's very freeing because it takes a lot of takes like the responsibility of you out of it you know it's like whatever happens happens if it's going to happen it's sort of in god's god's hands so <laughs> at yeah. the end of the day and also uh george is a, a very cute man <laughs> he's just he's so he's so cute <laughs> yes absolutely very attractive book george today <laughs> yes yeah. yeah and the the people who only listen to it they don't they don't get the full experience but we were lucky we got the full yeah we got we the were, audio and the visual yeah, yeah we were blessed absolutely yeah. <laughs> um, um <laughs> but, but yeah so i mean oh god so much has been on my mind it's so rare that um, theater people are in the mainstream media, but when they are, it's a real treat. You know what I'm saying? Like, I I just oh like I just get a little shiver up my spine because it's so uh, cringy because it's something I it's a, it's a pathology I relate to so much, um, and I really really enjoy it. But um, I mean, we we do have a play we're gonna talk about today, but. I did. We do want to touch on <laughs> some <laughs> of the recent uh, media fanfare surrounding David Mamet in the last, I think, week. Was God, when did yeah. this happen? Like a couple it, like, weeks. Like last, like mid last week, it seems like it came up. Yeah. That David Mamet went on Fox News and said that like um, all male teachers have an inclination to pedophilia. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so David Mamet appeared on Fox News, like, spouting very hyperbolic nonsense, sort of firing off boring and underwhelming right-wing talking points. And, you know, he's, I understand what he's saying, but he he's making it extremely inflated. Um, obviously, the extended, like, theater and art community you know, became very up in arms about his appearance on Fox News, uh, which right. to me was, uh, you know, very, it's very late in the game to exactly. recognize David Mamet as an inflammatory public figure. Yes. You know what I'm saying? I'm like, dude, like, it's so, like, last it's year. It's old news, yes. <laughs> it's Get so, on like, with your life. Yeah, it, well, any old head will tell you that David Mamet has been a quote-unquote, like, controversial figure in the last right. like 30 years i mean this is such old news i mean i think it was 2011 he had this huge like coming out as a conservative reformed liberal or conservative i don't know but he wrote this yeah. whole book on political ideology and actually was very coherent about it much more coherent than he is now because now he is 74 and old so um you know I just think it's, uh, you know, it's kind of grasping at straws to be picking fights with David Mamet at this point. It just seems like a lot of people are desperate for something to talk about and are very bored. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, the <laughs> the tweets online have just been, like, really just, like, moralizing and just, like, showing 
uh, your your hunger for like attention and like uh, to to show that you are on the right side of history and mm-hmm. it's like literally nobody like it, you're not and like it <laughs> like you're just like like moralizing and grandstanding and like you're just it just is so stupid and like yeah. just if you don't like David Mammoth's plays like that's one thing but like yeah. you're going after his politics like why um, like yeah it's just I- it's the, I mean, the great irony is that most of Mamet's earlier plays were about real working people complaining about exactly. the exact culture war that he sort of found himself stoking today and has sort of been for the last 20 years, basically. And he's sort of complicit in like this Ouroboros of culture and moral lethargy that he claims to rail against. You know what I'm saying? Like, He's very complicit in like the moral fatigue that he's been writing about, you know, ever since he began his career. And I don't know, at at the end of the day, like Mamet, that's just what he is. I mean, he's Jewish from Chicago. Like he can't help it. Like he is sort of like a moralist. (laughs) And I actually today I sort of consider him more as a cultural critic rather than a playwright because he is obviously has written amazing plays. Um, but also, you know, in the last 20 years, he's just, you know, found another passion for like political, uh, moralizing and outrage and, you know, it's what, it's whatever. Like, I know he's just always been a very punitive, uh, egregious jack off his whole life. He's very intense. Um, and I get it, you know, it's whatever. I think what I love about Mamet, aside from all the political shit, it's, it's his dialogue writing and that's, I mean, I mean, he's his political ideal ideologies have changed throughout his whole life. Like all of our p- political ideologies change throughout our whole lives. That's sort of what unites all of us together in this. But he, the way he writes, and and it's why he deserves to be canonized. He writes dialogue the way people actually talk. It's such a treat to dive into mammoth's dialogue as an actor because you're like oh my god like you can't just revert to simply reciting his dialogue his dialogue actually forces you to talk like a person literally <laughs> like right when you read yeah. mammoth's plays you're like oh shit this is he's captured the actual cadence and speech patterns of american people you know what i'm saying yeah i mean and i think like he is he will never be able to like get it right with this crowd because like he committed the original sin of like renouncing left politics in the theater you know (laughs) like in the theater like you have like it almost feels like you have to be on the left Mm -hmm. and like because he like renounced it like I think like he will always be like the fallen child of the theater and I think like yeah he kind of is this boogeyman that haunts or ghostly figure that haunts the the theater world and but truly the only way to like get rid of that is to like face it like face it and deal with it but like they don't want to deal with it they just want to like uh show off their own politics and like show off how they're like morally superior mm-hmm. you know and, yeah, it, and I, it's not going to get yeah. us anywhere yeah i mean i think there is like the theater and extended art world is increasingly characterized by this mania for being likable 
everything needs to be sort of free of its edges and declared right. as agreeable. But people forget that embracing conflict in the face of, you know, achieving a common goal helps you grow and become more tolerant. I mean, I, I've worked with so many people who are insane, crazy, and think differently than I do. But when you have aggregate passions and you recognize that and prioritize that, you can really achieve something really amazing and great and build something together. Exactly. You know, and it's like, it, to me, it's just, and well, and I will say I, um, you know, I do, I do support like clowning on your adversaries and your competitors. But if you do want to clown someone, like make it artful and funny and comical. Right. And exactly. the way people like clown on Mammoth is so like punching down. And it's like very, it's like very low hanging fruit to me. It's very, it's yeah. the same. Like it's very old news. Like who the fuck cares? Like it's just Mammoth, you know, like he's very, he literally, he sent like a cease and desist to the Milwaukee theater in like 1992 because they wanted a cross-gender cast one of his plays um olenia and he and you know he's we just like we what? should read that play <laughs> I've, n I've never read i've read a lot about it <laughs> i know i yeah. i have it on, i have it on my shelf we should read yeah. it but you know he's yeah. he's anal retentive and I, I get it i actually think that's something that humanizes him a lot because he's yeah, uncompromising I and probably is what makes him a very good writer also, like, he's an artist, first yeah. and foremost. So he's going to say, like, outlandish, stupid, sometimes shit. But it's, like, it's our job to, like, kind of, like, make sense of it for ourselves, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. Also, I would like to say that people commonly forget that Glenn Gary Ross is quite literally about toxic masculinity. Like, it is about male parent male paranoia but it's also about male competition and the consequences of that you know i feel like there's a lot that's inflated and overblown and we kind of forget about the values that he's brought i mean i remember when i first um kind of approached a mammoth piece in my early years and i was like oh my god like i can't just revert to simply reciting these lines i actually have to work with my scene partner we have to kind of dive into all the little tiny inflections and the mm. little sort of, um, yeah, like, you know, the likes and ums that people say and people talk over each other. It's a very naturalistic way of writing. Very few people have been able to capture and replicate. Right. I think his writing, like, kind of like, my parents have been watching Breaking Bad, Breaking Bad a lot. Mm -hmm. And I think his writing, it like, like, is part of the lineage that like gives us like Breaking Bad, like that like direct um, uh, style, very, you know, and it, it almost sounds like, like a transcription, like yeah, somebody and, literally pasted somebody's stream of consciousness onto a page. It, it requires like great presence to and be able intuition. to do it. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. I think yeah. you should read his his secret knowledge book. I was just researching the, that today. The dismantling <laughs> of American culture. Because <laughs> I was watching some of his interviews from 2011, 2012 when he wrote that book. And obviously he's much more coherent. It's just interesting when I see these people dog on all these old intellectuals who are like 74, like David Mamet is. 
And I'm just like, there's no respect for the elderly. Like, please. I, it wasn't no. too long ago when I was talking to my bubby about the Pope and she was saying, like, I'm not giving money to no fruitcakes. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't yeah. either. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, we, we it's always these conversations are always approached with sort of the conception that we, too, will age and grow into very disconnected yeah. and disconnected elderly people who are very out of touch and ingrained in the ways that we, you know, grew up and stuff. So, but we whatever. need people who are out of touch to like make us like recheck ourselves, you mm. know, it's like to like and recenter ourselves, I think, you yeah. know, because I think they're like when you're you're really in it, there's a uh, there's a, an inclination to go to its extreme. You know, which I think is what is happening a little bit yeah. right now. I um, <laughs> I was laughing because you texted me that screenshot of, uh, Jason Robert Brown tweeting that, oh, yeah, David, that David Mamet, Mamet is an asshole. <laughs> David Mamet yeah. is an asshole. But I was thinking, I was like, you know, maybe it's not that he disagree. I think maybe JRB is just jealous that some of the nation's best <laughs> dramatists are from Chicago. Mamet, Tracy Letts. William Friedkin, Kanye West, like the list goes on and on. Exactly. Lorraine Hansberry. I mean, Chicago phobia. <laughs> it is Chicago phobia. Uh, we can't help it. <laughs> but like um, David, David Mamet will be fine. And like, no, he's fine. The, and it's not, it's these, not like he's the governor of whatever. Exactly. You know? Who cares? These people, these people need context. Yeah. I mean, he has a play, his play American Buffalo is running on Broadway right now with like Lawrence Fishburne and Sam Rockwell and Darren Chris. And, um, you know, he'll be fine. And like the whole, like uh, more Vogel, less mammoth movement. Like there's a Paula Vogel play on Broadway right now mm -hmm. or off Broadway. Like it's fine. Like they can coexist together. Although somebody said to me recently, like, is the more Vogel, less mammoth movement like an actual like movement or is it like a metaphor? Um, I think it's just cultural detritus. It's sort of just the extended rhetoric that happens around the conversation when you read something and then you look someone up and then you're thinking about how did this playwright get this idea or what, you know what I'm saying? Like, I don't know. Right. Yeah. Because it's like Paula Vogel is a good writer. And so she doesn't need like a social movement to like get produced. You know what yeah. I mean? Oh, like her work speaks for itself. Yeah. Well, I think this is extremely connected to the play that we're talking about today because I was yeah. <laughs> doing a lot of research about Yasmina Reza's public, you know, persona. Isn't she so hot? She's, she's hot. Not only is she hot, she is Iranian and Russian, and she also French. has an amazing and classy and poised public presence. Um, mm. She has doubled down on the fact several times in her career that she is a playwright and not an intellectual. She writes, and, and anything that happens after that is just the aftermath she doesn't want any part in the discourse or the rhetoric or the conversation she sees herself as solely an observer and not an intellectual or a moralist at all um it's extremely interesting and i think she has like one of the most poised public presences of any contemporary playwright working um i do want to sort of um, direct our listeners to a 
Guardian uh, article um, interview, which she gave in 2000, when was this? 2012, um, just to give you an idea of kind of the kind of artist she is. Let me see what they said. Okay, so she gave this article to The Guardian in 2012, um, and it reads as follows. It is possible that her background, Reza, was raised in France by her Russian-Iranian engineer father, who died several years ago, and Hungarian violinist mother, gives her a unique perspective. Although Reza says she feels French and is fluent in her country's sociocultural subtleties, her perspective remains that of an acute and wryly interested observer. Does she still consider herself a moralist? She smiles. There are all these university theses that say I'm a moralist. I don't know if I am or not, perhaps. She lets that thought hang, taking another sip of her tea. In fact, she positively eschews the notion that she sets out to write plays with quote-unquote big ideas. You know, critics in general always have a tendency to give a sociological dimension to my work. For me, I'm thrilled they say that, but it's not that that animates me. What motivates me most is writing about people who are well brought up and yet underneath that veneer, they break down. Their nerves break down. It's when you hold yourself in, it's when you hold yourself well until you just can't anymore, until your instinct takes over. It's physiological. It is for this reason, she says, that she never seeks to explain or deconstruct her characters' backgrounds for the audience. I'm not interested in what they were like as children in psychoanalysis, uh, in psychoanalysis because writing is totally instinctive. I work like a painter. If a painter is doing a portrait of someone, he's not interested in their childhood. He paints what he sees. There's no explanation because it doesn't mean anything. Um, and yeah, I think hmm. that's a very mature and appropriate way to approaching drama. I think, you know, she says it very well. Drama, you know, is about people being on their worst behavior. And all of her plays really, you know, illuminate that. I think that's very important. And her approach to writing is very pragmatic um there's also a very similar article in the new york times um she gave an interview in 2011 um she says after i write i have nothing to say <laughs> the comment no. the commentary afterwards is su uh, super uh, superfluous i write and that's enough um i think that's you know an extremely respectable way to approaching drama um i think all playwrights should be observers and I don't know, I think, you know, it's obviously culturally different, but, um, you know, it's interesting. I almost feel like David Mamet should take a, <laughs> take a note out of her playbook. Um, but you, no, I, I'm a huge fan of Yasmina Reza. Me too. Have you read her play, um, Art? I've read about it, but... It, I read it in high school because I was like, it, I, I read it senior year because I was like, bored in class and like I didn't want to do the work so I would just like go into the the drama like class and um I would sit in the back room and just mm -hmm. like read scripts and that's one of the scripts that I read mm -hmm. and like it's about these like people like fighting over like what like their friend sees like great value in this piece of art and they're like what the fuck is he talking about and it's just, and it's so, and it's so absurd. Like, and I think like she does absurdity so well. I think the French do absurdity really well. I think like yeah. they, they, it's, it was like 
um, spiritually in them from like Beckett and uh, and Ionesco at like and Genet. It all comes yeah. down in the lineage. But I think like, yeah, I just think that she does it really well. And um, we're talking about um, her play God of Carnage and the Roman Polanski film adaptation called mm-hmm. Carnage that came out in 2011. Um, this movie came out in 2011, yes, with Jodie Foster, John C. Riley, and um, Kate, Kate Winslet, Winslet and, and who plays Christoph, Christoph Waltz, yes, who's my favorite in this movie. Oh my god, me too. Yeah, <laughs> we'll get into yeah. it, <laughs> but I'm, I mean, on the note of the play scripting, the play is so well written as a piece of drama because this play investigates the root cause of violence and whether society is able to control our innate violence. But it's there's kind of no winners and losers in the play's manifold conflicts, you know? Like, there are... He doesn't... You know, Yasmina doesn't really um, contone these characters. Neither does, you know, she kind of shame them either. There's a lot of sympathy and heart in this play. Um, but I mean, there's a lot of conflict and it's like the, um, extended uh, mammoth, you know, discourse and in, in community fighting, it's like, it's just conflict is very good. And like, you have to accept when you see a play, you want to expose and embrace yourself to that conflict because it helps you think and grow. And yeah, I think we should all be embracing conflict. And not in a solipsistic way. Yeah, that is the problem, is that nobody wants to, like, duke it out. They want everybody to, like, come to, they want everybody to, like, agree on the same thing. They want everybody to have the same opinion about everything. But that's just not how, like, nature works. That's not how human nature works. That's not how the world works. That's Um, not fun. I want to no, see people. I want to see people fight. <laughs> I know. I want to see. I want to see somebody lose something and then have to deal with the consequences mm-hmm. of losing something. You know. I uh, I saw God of Carnage probably fifteen years ago at Virginia Stage Company, and I was really blown away with how much this play is kind of about antinatalism it's sort of a cautionary tale for people who are reluctant to be a dedicated spouse to someone or a dedicated parent to someone um because doing that necessitate necessitates you to make actual sacrifices and accept responsibility for your actions and every single character in this play is unable to exhibit remorse or accept responsibility for their bad behavior. And it's really fun and interesting to see that play out. Yeah. Well, because like once the alcohol is introduced into the the play, like they all just like let go and then they like their real true selves start coming out. Mm -hmm. This play kind of reminds me a lot of like Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf, which is another absurd play. Yeah. I was thinking the same thing because Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf is very similar to this play in that it sort of explores the battle of the sexes and the differences between men and women and how men and women approach conflict management and de-escalation and the different like sort of psychological mechanisms 
that occur when <laughs> there's a problem at hand and uh, yeah it's just very very entertaining and very funny like first and foremost this play is a comedy um oh, yeah. i mean i think uh yasmina is sort of commonly lauded as a feminist writer a little bit i really I don't, don't get like well i don't get annoying feminists n- well here's the thing <laughs> i think this well like i said this play is very ahead of its time because all of these characters are very self-serving and solipsistic and that's sort of what the play is about it sort of questions <laughs> if humanity is always going to you know fall on our natural impulses in the face of adversity or if we're able to sort of band together and face on conflict peacefully um, in a quote-unquote civilized society um, but I I think obviously it's about parenting and whatnot but I would go even deeper to that to say that yeah God of Carnage is about the investigation of the roots of violence and if man has the capability to you know inhibit our natural impulse to be violent and fight (laughs) you know when we're faced with someone that somebody that offends us or sort of accosts our you know natural everyday decorum Um, so that's something that I'm really interested in and that's sort of like the Pandora's box that this play opens up. Right. We should like, uh, for those who like don't know, um, the play is about two couples, two parents um, who come together one evening because their children uh, got into a fight on the playground and it left one child um, um, beaten up terribly and the whole premise of the play is that they're trying to figure out how to resolve the conflict, but um, they, the, the parents themselves, start to descend into uh, their primal <laughs> instincts and they just fighting. start to bicker. <laughs> the whole they ba- yeah, and they yeah. basically turn into children themselves mm-hmm. and like start, you know, reverting back to child's like instincts. Mm-hmm. Um, which it's like scary to think that like you can do that at any point, you know, in your life, you can just like revert back to childhood. If you're not like staying vigilant about like what you're doing and like thinking about the effect that you're having on the world. Yeah. That's what the drugs are for. Just kidding. Um, (laughs) But no. Yeah. So um, the two boys that get in this fight, um, one is named Bruno, one is named Ferdinand. Ferdinand knocks out two of Bruno's teeth with a stick. So yeah, that, that night both um, parents of the children come together and meet to discuss and you know investigate into whether there should be any litigation that should take place and they sort of uh, delineate into each other's um, the parenting styles and um, then they start the conversation veers into talking about each other's marriage and their relationships it's very funny and the play really does like mirror what is going on today in the sense that like the state has taken over all the like the things that like people like would naturally take care of themselves you know mm-hmm. that like the state um sort of uh litigates everything now between two conflicting parties mm-hmm. and um and it's like mirrored in this in the two parents the two couples and how like 
they're like dealing with their children's problems when it's like in reality like chill like it used to be that children would just like deal with their problems on their own you know mm -hmm. they would learn like and that's how you like build resiliency and like mm -hmm. learn how to like be a person in society is like through conflict and then like working it out mm -hmm. but like these parents don't trust that their children can do it um <laughs> because like they they're not that involved in their children's lives they don't really mm -hmm. know that almost like know their children at least like Kate Winslet, Nancy, and Alan don't really know their child that well because they mm -hmm. like referred to him as like a maniac. But then like um, Judy Foster and John C. Riley are almost mm -hmm. like too involved in their children's lives and like don't trust that they can like figure it out. And it, yeah. it, was, just, it was very interesting to watch. Yeah, and alternatively, you feel bad for the children because you see how childlike these parents are pathologically and how disconnected right. they are. And sophomoric they are in their approach to parenting because if they really cared about resolving the conflict between their boys they would have a sit down with their children and talk to them about how they should go about resolving the matter and lead them with actual value of ingrained value system but they don't really have a value system essentially they're all very self-serving and this is something that Alan, the stereotypical, like, removed attorney character, <laughs> says later in the play, you know, he kind of says, like, is it, he, is it just, like, natural for us to sort of revert to our animalistic impulses because man is so self-serving? Like, is that something <laughs> that, I, do we have the capability to actually be civilized in the way that we claim to be, you know? Right. I mean, it's like, it's partially like performance like you do it almost because like you feel like you have a social obligation to do it you know because like they go they go on and talk about how like um like Kate Winslet's character is like well uh, he has to like want to apologize to the child you know like he can't we can't just like force him to do it because if you do that then he will resent the other childs for like having to be forced to like <laughs> apologize yeah and then uh, conversely, in this conflict that these parents are having, they can't even bring themselves to put their differences aside and apologize to each other when they attack each other and ridicule each other. Right. <laughs> yeah. Like it's 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 just <laughs> I, um, it's all just a mess. <laughs> I wanted to talk about kind of like each of these characters because Obviously, every single character in their own way is unable to accept responsibility and show remorse and put aside their differences. But um, I guess I'll start with um, the first couple in the play. It's Veronica and Michael. Um, well, Veronica, the, yeah. The names have been changed. I know. The, the names are changed in the um, movie. Because the, the film takes place in Brooklyn. Yeah. <laughs> of course. But... Um, Veronica is the Jodie Foster character. Um, oh, okay, cool. And she's funny because she's the one, I think, that puts up the most intense facade of hospitality. She comes off as extremely ben benevolent, the most benevolent of all the characters. But And she doesn't resort to any like litigation regarding her son Bruno's injury and truly believes that they can all come together on an agreement. 
but um, her main character flaw sort of lies in her vicious, judgmental attitude. And it's not even 40 minutes into the couple's conversation that she decides that um, Alan and Annette, you know, must be terrible people, terrible parents. And I actually think this is very, very common in somebody who's very smart and intellectual because she does disclose in the play that she's writing all these essays about Africa and Darfur, but where she (laughs) sort of succeeds in the intellectual, in the intellectual, she fails miserably in the interpersonal because she is so judgmental. She's like a scolding liberal. Like she's like, she's probably still wearing the mask right now Mm -hmm. as we speak. And like, she was probably like all about like, the summer of 2020 BLM, you know, all that type of stuff. Like mm-hmm. she's probably like on that train and is obsessed. Yeah. And I think it's and, funny um, that yeah. Al- Alan, the attorney is like, oh, so you're obsessed with Africa or something is like, yeah. and she's like, um, I, I guess like it's something I care about, you know? And at, that's why Alan is like the best character in this. He has the best lines. And even though he's the most rude, he's the most honest, like, Exactly. He, what's that line yeah. he said he's like women cry and men are pushed to their edge <laughs> I, yeah i mean he just like he he calls out bullshit and mm-hmm. like you know he like when his when he's talking to penelope or like jodie foster's character about writing the writing the book about the genocide in africa she he's like out of all of all the world like you're choosing like this one genocide out mm-hmm. of all of them and like what like what difference is it gonna make that you wrote yeah. about one genocide he's um, like really like he's like really like calling out like the like the academic business hypocrisy context. yeah yeah mm-hmm. yeah Are, sorry is your uh, audio your your thing unplugged oh god let me check Put, <laughs> check the bottom and check the side of it yeah hold on do i sound weird you just sound like it unplugged damn it i think i think i might be disconnected but as long as you can hear me yeah i can hear you okay? just it sounds hold on try it try it again hold on um uh, like <laughs> am i back Hello? no you're not back <laughs> You can't hear me? No, I can hear you, but it just sounds oh. different than before. I think we're just going to have to... to tr- tr- wait, hold on. Okay, is it back? Do I sound weird? Wait. Try talking again. Hello? Okay, now it sounds even worse. Okay. Wait, no, now it sounds better. Am wait. I back? Yes, you're back. Okay. Phew. <laughs> Okay, we're back. Okay. Um, what and were then, we talking about? Oh, so, okay. So we went over Veronica. Um, Veronica's husband, Michael. <laughs> Veronica's husband, uh, Michael, um, also is extremely... I love the men in this play. They're very funny. Um, Michael is kind of like the most like lackadaisical, hospitable makes an extreme effort to come off as extremely agreeable but as the conversation progresses and things escalate he keeps throwing his wife under the bus and even denounces child rearing as wasteful and a grueling experience you sort of start to understand more and more about his inability to exhibit remorse that renders him as sort of a failing father 
and you know what's funny about this so fun fact to, um uh james gandolfini actually revived this character uh Ugh. like 20 years ago something um it's sort of he was probably so good <laughs> no i was watching a couple of videos about this it almost makes sense because michael is sort of a tony soprano character a little bit right he like throws his wife under the bus he hates his kids he doesn't want to accept any responsibility for teaching them and instilling values in them um it's it's very very funny and i think they're they're both uh interest their dynamic and chemistry is very interesting because they're such opposites he's just sort of a no-nonsense guy and she's very anal retentive <laughs> you right. can tell well, that I like was... she is very much the top in the relationship oh certainly <laughs> i was like very interested in his um his obsession with the hamster and why he was like i have to get this hamster out of my house but i'm afraid to touch it well, it, it's funny because it, that's another sign. Like he doesn't want to experience any conflict or pain in his life. He just wants all of the annoyances to just be erased and put out of sight, out of mind. Well, he says he's like he says in the film, or maybe this is also in the play. He says like I'm afraid of things that touch the ground, mm -hmm. and so that that to me reads it's like he's afraid of like like the dark impulses or human nature or like mm -hmm. the dark from a Freudian perspective, the darker um, subconscious that like yeah. he's afraid of. Yeah, he doesn't want to be confronted with the natural world and the things that naturally happen when you do rear a child. Yeah. And that's so obvious. Like he doesn't exhibit any remorse about throwing his child's hamster in the street and killing it, essentially. He's just like, what? It's no big deal. It was annoying. So I just killed it, essentially. It um, was funny that he was like, when, oh, I don't care. Like he kind of like grandstands a little bit. It was almost like he was like showing off that like in front of like, uh, what's it? Uh, God, uh, Alan's character it almost seems like he was like showing off that he's like oh I'm not actually afraid of my child <laughs> but like I think he is subconsciously afraid yeah, of his you child you can tell that he's afraid of his own role and influence as a father and I think both of the couples actually probably are experiencing some severe anxiety about how unfit they are to face the challenges you're faced with when you do raise a child well and it's interesting in the film and probably also in the play they say like this isn't actually about the children mm -hmm. i think and i think it's actually michael who says it or maybe it's alan mm -hmm. who says like this isn't about the children this is about like something else because it it's about it is about the parents like yeah. it's not the, it's not the, about the, the kids at all definitely yeah the children are like a byproduct of how the parents uh like reared them and mm -hmm. like and this is where like and their absence in their life yeah and i think that's probably and... why both couples um get so heated in their arguments it's because they see themselves re reflected in each other they're like oh right. my god another couple that's just not as shitty as a parent that yeah. as I am, like this is something yeah. I relate to, but I'm and, very angry at it. <laughs> and I think like that's where the Alice Miller gifted child thing comes in because mm -hmm. it's like the, when the parents themselves don't have it together and then they have to force the children to be a certain way. So then the child then 
feels that they're like has created a self that is not actually their true self Mm -hmm. and so then they have to like let it go when they're older Mm -hmm. and that's like a whole other rabbit hole to go down (laughs) but Um, but yeah but yeah no the other um couple Annette and Alan so Annette the the Kate Winslet character Annette is so insecure and nervous I think when I when I saw this play I was really confused and kind of trying to pinpoint exactly what kind of person she was but when you see Alan's behavior you kind of get the idea that she feels so insecure most I can tell that she's insecure because of her husband who's very absent and emotionally removed and preoccupied with work Um, and she becomes obviously so uh, anxious that she vomits on stage twice (laughs) and I think what um, fascinates me about Annette's character most is that she throws the most tantrums and creates the most um, she, she creates the most like destructiveness in the play anything that's damaged on stage like she throws up on all the art books on uh, Veronica's table <laughs> and you know is she um, you know cra- like smashes all the flowers in the vase at the end of the play it's very interesting because in the beginning of the play she's very quiet and reserved and standoffish but when she kind of gets offended or things escalate she throws a huge tantrum and like just smashes everything on stage well yeah that's what's so interesting is like at the beginning of the play you notice that they're like trying to inch their way out of the apartment like they don't want to be there but then like uh michael and penelope's character like keep like dragging them back into the apartment Mm -hmm. and like you can tell that like it's putting setting them up for a situation that they really don't want to be in yeah they don't they both do do not want to be there and yeah the michael veronica penelope character it they're they're, like trying to put up this facade of hospitality and like everything's gonna be okay like you know they and and ned and alan don't want to be there yeah it's like the upper it's like this upper middle class nicety that they don't want to deal with and like yeah that's why like they kind of have like uh nancy and alan kind of have like uh like a (laughs) like a conservative trumpian kind of vibe to them like they Mm -hmm. just want to like let go you know and be like fuck the penelope and michael character Mm -hmm. and they're like well we're trying to like control because like uh penelope's like so word obsessed and it's like and she they even say like stop with your political correctness bullshit like all that type of stuff like she's like trying to like just like they're just like trying to get away from it but like they keep running into butting heads it's yeah it's they so keep funny. they 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 butt heads because they're so attracted to each other because they have so much in common they need it they're each so other. Unsta- yeah, they they're need so each unstable other. yeah i mean my my parents always tell me this like you may not be able to make friends um, as a married couple without children, or you may have difficulties, but when you do have children, you make so many new friends and you're opened up to this huge world of community because you have something in common with so many other people and that's your children. And you all of a sudden find yourself making so many new friends because your kids go to the same school. They do, you, you're dealing with the same things. Um, and it's really just this huge opportunity for, friendship making um but yeah no the 
the Kate Winslet character is probably the most fascinating to me because she creates the most chaos. I think she all, she constantly um, justifies her chaos and her destructiveness throughout the play with such justification that she's being provoked by her husband or by someone else that's offending her. And I think this parallels in how she's defending her child's destructive behavior. She similarly justifies it under the same guise that she, that her child as well was just as provoked by a gang of bullies. You know, every time like she acts out and calls the other uh, couple's child a faggot, which is very funny. Um, Yes. Oh my God. (laughs) That was very funny. Um, You know, she's unwilling to accept any responsibility (laughs) or exhibit any remorse. She doesn't say sorry for the hurtful things she says and does um, because she's constantly justifying it by saying, well, I was, I was just provoked. Like you're just making me do this, you know? And that's the same way how she feels about her child's behavior. It's like, Oh no, this, my child is fine. Like it's, it's your child. That's the problem. (laughs) I know. I loved the part where Nancy and Alan are like, we know our child is like kind of like off the wall. Yeah. (laughs) And then Penelope's like, does he have any accountability skills? Which is I've yeah, never heard accountability nobody, nobody in this play has accountability skills. Yeah, I've never heard it. Well, I've also never heard it framed as like accountability skills. Like yeah. that it's like something that you have to like you have to learn accountability, which is it was weird to me. I was like, accountability is a learned skill. I thought it was just like you like you. Yeah, I thought just, it was just you feel remorse when you do something bad. Yeah, but then alternatively how do you know that you did something bad if your parents never taught you when you punch someone that's bad like that's violent you know what i'm saying (laughs) well and it's all it's all depends on the social context because like in other cultures they you know they might honor masculinity they might honor like masculine Mm -hmm. fighting it out you know and like solving your problems that way that might you know but like and they bring in like western civilization into into the conversation they're like this is a like penelope says i believe in western values Mm -hmm. yeah and that maybe western values uh don't really believe in fighting although i do think that we used to believe in fighting a little mm-hmm. bit. Well, it's funny to me that, you know, the Kate Winslet character is claiming that her child is fine. You know, they're justified because your your child was actually bullying my child. And she mm. sort of justifies the violent behavior um, with some kind of excuse. But alternatively, her husband, Alan, is like... Um, there's actually no justification that's just the way my child is and my child is actually perfect and there it's completely out of my hands there's nothing i can do <laughs> there's like no right. justification in his argument well because alan sees like nature he's like yeah alan is like alan sees that his child is like connected to a sort of masculine nature mm-hmm. and he's the one in the play that constantly brings up like philosophy civilization well he's he's an attorney yes exactly so he's yeah he's a lawyer so (laughs) he's he's very good at like litigating those things but um he's got he's got the best lines what what else does he say he says something really funny i don't know i i do think it's i do think it's funny so when kate winslet throws up on uh 
Michael and Veronica's uh, fancy like art books. Um, <laughs> um, they Veronica like gets so fucking like upset. Like she has she's not paying attention to Annette who's clearly sick. She's like, oh my god, my my precious art books. Oh, oh, oh no, the Francis Bacon book that I have. It's the only one of its kind. You know, right. very sort of like emotionally removed from the whole situation and only concerned with uh, the damages that Kate Winslet has caused. Um, and then. Later in the play, Kate Winslet takes Alan's Blackberry and throws it into the vase. And in the same way, the men are like, oh, the, the Blackberry, like, oh, my God, <laughs> you know, they're they're completely, yeah. um, you know, m- misled. They're not um, really focused on the actual conflict at hand. Well, yeah, it's like um, just like our when you're in a moment of like conflict, you can easily be just like so distracted to like whatever your primal impulse is driving you to and so like I think like he there was probably like a territorial thing going on yeah because when you're in an argument it always it, it always ends up reverting to the personal so if you're having sort of a rhetorical argument with someone or a political argument it all every single time it always reverts to like well the way you're saying that actually hurts me and it's very it's now there's damages that have been done yeah Yeah, actually you're you're being violent now and um (laughs) in the way that violence is sort of inflated in these conversations we sort of lose the value and meaning of what violence actually is Right. And it becomes very blurry and muddy and hyperbolic. Um, but we've definitely was, been desensitized to violence yeah. as a culture. So what I don't know if Yasmina was trying to do this consciously. Do you think she was saying anything like metaphorical with Annette throwing up on the art books? Because remember, she did write that play art. And I think she had something to say about vomiting on like this upper class like art world right that you is know? so interesting oh my god I because she about that, she does that's... have this sort of weird disdain for like this upper class intellectual moralizing part of the of art of yeah. arts and i think she was trying to s- comment on how because she does commonly write about upper class bougie people who are sort of stuck in their own moral vacuum I think she was trying to comment on something by having a net throw up on all of those fancy art books. Definitely. Well, and then like, it was the, like the thing that would really set Penelope off, you know, like, because so much of her identity is wrapped up in like being this upper middle class, uh, intellect scolding liberal. Yeah. You know? Who writes essays and articles. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so like to have somebody like, I mean, I would be pissed if somebody like, (laughs) Mm -hmm. I probably would be pissed if somebody threw up on like a prized book that I owned, especially if it was like a one of a kind edition. Yeah. But if somebody is throwing up in your apartment, where do you go first? Where do you go first? Do you go to the art books first or do you go to the person who's having a panic panic attack in your apartment? You know, like. That's a good, that's a good question. Right. I mean, just, the, the, I would like to think that I would go to the person, but like, 
who's to say it depends i mean i don't know about you but i would definitely run to the aid of my friend who was vomiting <laughs> obviously well, the the situation i mean it's i don't i don't like, have any expensive things so it, an, it honestly doesn't matter well, you right. can throw well, up in my I apartment own, anytime yeah. i don't own anything of that value <laughs> but i don't know i mean my louis vuitton I mean, I, it's like, I don't know if I would, but also like, I don't know if I would ever own like a one of a kind book, you know? I don't know if there's anything that I would own that would be like that. Well, I mean, there's nothing that I own that I would get so wrapped up in losing. Like if I lost, hmm, I don't know. I've lost many things in my life. I, I, I don't know. The point is like, if somebody is, throwing up multiple times in my apartment and I'm incurring like damages for that. I, I don't care. Like you can throw up anytime in my apartments, like anytime you want. I want to take care of you. I don't care what you throw up on. Well, you're also a cancer. That's so like true. cancers that's do true. love to be maternal and take care of people. Yeah. <laughs> and that's why we need you in this world. <laughs> <laughs> I know. <laughs> I can see, I can see like me throwing up is, I can see you being like, oh my God, not, not my limited edition of faggots. I know. That would actually be a first not, not, not my signed uh, edition copy of Angels in America. God. Yeah. yeah actually. Yeah. <laughs> well, also like going. Dr. Faustus. Off, that was my. <laughs> that was yeah. my dissertation. Yeah. <laughs> um. But going off of um, what you were saying about the throwing up the art books, I also do think that um, Yasmina Reza was making a comment or like was pointing out or trying to poke the bear a little bit when uh, Nancy says to Penelope, like when she's like super drunk and she's like, and she's calling her kid a faggot. And she also says like, I wipe my ass with your human rights. I know, that was very funny. I, I, I know, I'm wondering if she's like trying to like say something about like the, how like upper middle class people take like human rights stuff. Like, and, and what what, uh, what extent do they define as a constitutional rights? Is it our exactly. constitutional right to feel no pain whatsoever or not experience any conflicts in our lives? And, right. you know, that is probably part of Penelope's pathology. She thinks that it's unconstitutional to experience any conflict or disagreements. You know, ever. Right. if you disagree with her, you are you know deplorable <laughs> well yeah liberals like that's li what liberals want mm -hmm. like they want everybody to be on their side and they want everybody to think that they're the good people going back to david mamet like that's why like i think everybody like whenever david mamet says something like people like latch onto it and they're like they use it to be like they're this is my moment to say the right thing to get the most likes to get mm -hmm. all the attention on me to show people that i'm a good person mm -hmm. when in reality you're just like a narcissist yeah it is that and i i think um david mammon actually puts this much more coherently in the early 2010s when he talks about these recognition signifiers that the extended political world manufactures for you on the left and the right 
where if you have these signifiers, you can be perceived as somebody who's likable and agreeable. And right. he also goes into how, um, you know, tribalism is a part of our natural human instincts and recognizing patterns is something that is so ingrained in our natural um, way of existing and relating to each other. I mean, it's kind of what we were talking about a couple episodes ago when I was talking about the nuns that just started meowing in the um, <laughs> convents. Like one nun in the medieval times just started meowing and then another nun started meowing. And then there were um, like two weeks consecutively where all these nuns in this convent just started meowing and it was just this strange phenomenon and something similar happened I mean, people used to die from dancing there was this situation in the like 15th century or something where people one person started dancing randomly because they thought they were overcome by spirits so another person started mm. dancing then this whole group started dancing and then they danced so much that they basically died <laughs> see that that's what I. That's what I want to say. It's it's about. like just the <laughs> natural mania that we're very um, vulnerable to. Right. I mean, we have these dark impulses within us, and like it's like that's what society does. It like it keeps those things at bay so that we can like live with each other, mm-hmm. basically. Yeah, I think I don't know if and like how y- Yasmina says in the article, her articles and her interviews she doesn't really double down on herself as a moralist she really is an observer i think she's actually very similar to i find her writing very similar to donald margulies who also a lot of his plays are about upper class bougie people who have this large facade of agreeability and likability and wanting to want everything to be copacetic everything's fine and nobody's going to experience any conflict whatsoever but as the conversation sort of takes an ugly turn you start to see people break down and they buckle when they're under incredible stress right she and she worked really close with roman polanski because they Mm -hmm. co-wrote the screenplay Mm mm-hmm I wonder what that relationship was like. Yeah, and something that's interesting, she is very much against, she because she, she's said many times she's been so inundated with people wanting to make movies out of her plays. But there's something about Roman Polanski, I think, and the connection they had. I don't know, but I think maybe it's right right place, right time, because she really does does not want a lot of her plays to be turned into movies. It's something that she really disagrees with, but... I think their partnership just worked so well together. And I don't know, I guess, yeah, Roman just got lucky with her. And she said that she really enjoyed working with him as well. Well, and it's interesting, the film had to be made in Paris because Roman Mm -hmm. Polanski can't come back to the United States. Yeah. Per his sexual abuse allegation charges. Yeah. Well, it's it's funny because she's said so many times, like, of course, like, you know, I had scruples about his history or whatever, but I mean, he's a great, he was a great person to work with and it's pretty much See, old news at this point. <laughs> exactly. You can put aside like people's pasts yeah. to create something that is beautiful and la- and last beyond you. Yes. Well, and I think this is also connected to the 
book she was writing on the guy who was running for presidency in the early 2010s. I forget who this guy was called. What was his name? Oh, in France? Yes. So she gave these interviews. Who was this guy? Okay. So in like the early 2010s, Yasmina wrote this book about uh, Sarkozy in his 2007 campaign for the French presidency. And, you know, she discloses in a lot of these interviews that, you know, of course, I have thoughts about how he would be as a president, but that's not really what I'm interested in. I'm interested in observing his journey and his approach to running a campaign and kind of taking in what he's going through in this point in time. I want to be an observer and I want to document this. And she received a lot of political backlash for doing this project. But she, you know, like she says, when she, she's like, after I write, I have nothing to say. Like the commentary is like, whatever. I just, I want to write the story and that's it. And like you, the, the rest, I mean, that's kind of like when we produce a play, once you produce a play, it's kind of no longer yours anymore. Right. It is really refreshing to hear her be like, I don't want to talk about it. Mm-hmm. The play speaks for itself. Yeah. And she's also said in interviews that she resents the fact that she's sort of forced to have a public persona. She obviously doesn't have a Twitter, doesn't care about having Instagram or any of that, which is respectable. And she would be great on Instagram, I think. Oh, yeah. No, she's gorgeous. She's beautiful. She's very exotic. The perfect woman, looking. essentially. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> um, I wonder if she's married. Is she, wait, is she married? I don't know. Let's look. I have no idea. <laughs> Maybe we don't um, know. Oh, she has two children. And she's a Taurus. Interesting. Good for her. I wonder, <laughs> I wonder if she would go on the pod. No, I mean, she said so many times, wait, there's another quote. She was like, I hate it when people ask me about myself because, oh yeah, she says a lot of these interviews are less like interviews and more like interrogations. People want to know who I am, the kind of person I am. It's always never about the work, but I constantly am, you know, bullied into these corners of having to talk about myself when that's like the least interesting thing about me is myself and my personality i just want to talk about my writing and my work although herself is interesting in a sense she because is. It, it's, it's, it's what gave birth to these artworks that we yeah. really like but i think you can kind of explore the person she is and her writing right and even in the art, yeah. small uh you know, pieces of information that she's blessed us with about her and her history and her lineage. I mean, she's just a great writer. I almost felt like these articles, I felt like these articles were like so, in the way she gives an interview is almost very similar to the Matthew Gaza NYT article because he has a similar sentiment in his New York Times article. He says, you know, I, I just, you know, I, I just want to put on a play. I just want to write and like stay writing in secret and keep doing it. And that's it. <laughs> that's kind of comforting that like um, 
the there's a mystique that's coming back almost well there's a dedication to the vocation and less of a dedication to, to the persona yourself. Yeah. yeah and well, that's, that's very yeah. comforting right because there are so many people that actually care more about their work than and care less about the aftermath and the rhetoric and the discourse and the extended Ouroboros of moral fatigue. <laughs> right. You know, because there should always be uh, ambigu- ambiguousness in every play. It should never be right. kind of solely, um, you know, mor- moralized. And I think that's has yeah. been so, that's kind of been the problem with a lot of Mamet's plays in the last 20 years because he's sort of reverted to making these very moralized plays that are less ambiguous and more kind of top down like you you immediately kind of understand what uh the the argument he's trying to make so clearly you know to the point where there's almost no argument or uh creative and productive conversation to be had at the end of the day I just finished reading his play, A Life in the Theater, and it's mm-hmm. about these two guys who are actors working in a, like, working at, in a repertory theater, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, like, just, like, scenes of life. And um, it really has, like, this, like, as we've said, like, it has, like, that working class, mm-hmm. like, taught, like, speech and, like, very just, like, we do this and you know we're very lucky to do this like mm-hmm. this is a very beautiful art form that we're a part of you know and i w- i do wish that that would like um come back yeah almost i i can't wait till i'm 74 i'm just corny as hell and i'm i'm just railing off against like nonsense right. <laughs> i mean the play the play was like okay yeah I didn't think what it was, year like, was I'm, this it came out in the 70s. Okay, I yeah. Think. I don't know the specific year, but I'm like, I'm more looking forward to like reading Speed the Plow and Oleana and American Buffalo mm-hmm. and Glen Gary, Glen Ross. Yeah. Um, I know, because, I, and I know like Speed the Plow is not the, his best, but Madonna was in it. Mm-hmm. And so like, that is enough for me. Yeah. I read Speed the Plow many, many years ago. I barely remember it. So I'll have to revisit that. Um, but I actually did watch the movie glenn glenn gary, gary glenn ross blah, yeah, blah, yes sorry the glenn play. <laughs> it's, it's late um no i recently watched that movie um and i really enjoyed it only because uh, paul used to work a sales job and that is so specifically oh, yeah. what that culture is it's about I selling your soul and being competitive and yeah, yeah and i love that monologue where he talks about like his balls and <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah we we love we love the mammoth family right zasha zasha come on the pod please yeah she's great she's a spitting image of her dad yeah zasha's in that um she's in that flight attendant hbo show oh yeah yeah i haven't watched that she's really cool i'm a huge fan we love the mammoths but girls just celebrated its 10-year anniversary that which is crazy uh, okay, now I feel old. I know, right? That's weird. That's weird. When I, I mean, similar. But that show is that show is eternal. Like it will, you know, it transcends time and place. That was a. Re- I mean, when I watched Girls for the first time, 
a lot of things that were going on in the show, I was similarly experiencing in a personal sense, but also in a cultural sense. I'd never like watched something that hit the nail on the head so close. And it's just a perfect piece of art. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) more with tiny furniture, definitely. Like I've still got to watch that. I haven't watched it. Oh my gosh. You got to, you need to. You have to catch I'll up. I'll watch it after. I'll watch it after Color Me Cute. Yes, you have. Um, no, but yeah, I mean, write, writing is is hard. It, I mean, for me at, at least. I mean, it, it takes a very special person to write dialogue, kind of in the way that Mamet does. And um, I am seeing like such a very comforting resurgence of a very naturalistic approach to writing dialogue but even like with the natural approach it feels very big and like almost like magical yeah i mean even in god of carnage you you see these conversations reflected back at you and you're like i feel like i've heard this before in my own life (laughs) like yeah and it's like and it it feels like it's dealing with something really like grand but it's like just two people having a conversation like two couples having a conversation about their uh, kids their kids but like as we said like the best plays are the the plays that have like pathology underneath what is going on on topically yeah yeah and yeah i mean this always happens when you have a conversation with somebody whether it's political or it's topical or something work related it always delineates into something pathological and then everyone's worst impulses just come to the surface (laughs) and then when the alcohol is involved like it's just i mean as nancy says like she she feels this kind of um what does she say this kind of serenity Mm -hmm. um pleasant serenity i love it when she's like i'm gonna get fucking drunk and nobody it, that, it's like Alcohol me when i'm leaving the club with my husband and i'm like you can't fucking tell me what to do ba, 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 you know <laughs> and your son is a faggot da, da, da. <laughs> it's the dionysian it and it's just it's beautiful yeah but it's i think really that's, what theater is about yeah and I, when the play ends it's very ambiguous and oh, what's the last line they say it's something like, ooh, who, who knows? Or I don't know. It's like, who knows? The play does have a very abrupt ending. It does. I was but like... That's why it's like the best because I think I have always walked away from this play thinking like they probably become amazing buddies at the end of the day. Well, yeah, I want to think and, that they're like drinking buddies after this, you know, well, and, and they the, go to the PTA film, meetings together. Yeah. In the film, you get to see that the children do make it up. Yeah. Like they do make up and like become friends mm-hmm. because- that's something that i didn't obviously it's not in the play but i obviously i think that's something that i walk away from after reading it right i mean because like after you like uh like deconstructed that much there all you can do is go up right and i think uh diving into somebody's worst impulses and bad behavior is sort of the ultimate act of love almost right it's like once you have an insane yeah it's like once you have an insane (laughs) conflict with somebody there's no coming back from that it's a form of intimacy almost yeah 
like the people like have you ever lived with somebody who's like oh we're best friends and now we're living together and then you start living together and you just see the worst side of somebody and it's yes. almost like and <laughs> yes. it, it, it's also it, it's funny because i had the situation i lived with my best friend um not romantic partner this was just like a best friend of mine in college and we like we saw the worst parts of each other when we lived together for two years but we walked away from it be, being like stronger friends than ever before granted the person that I was with we never spoke again okay well that so. that's fine <laughs> but I mean that's like such a de- defining factor of whether this person is going to be a right. s- sustainable relationship in my life in the long run or if right. this is something I can't handle and the ugly parts of this person are just like a huge rule breaker for me right yeah but do we have I don't any know. other um Yasmina Reza we're huge fans please come on the pod um (laughs) seriously she's like one of the best playwrights she really is I think she's slept on in the culture I think people need to she really is slept on I mean I'm most of my friends say like we they all like read at least a couple Yasmina Reza plays in school but I think she she deserves a revival at least one revival on Broadway. Mm-hmm. I mean, there was that revival with James Gandolfini and a whole bunch of other famous people, but let's bring it back. Was, it's been like 15 That was years. like the 2000s, yeah. Yeah, but yeah, it's been... How long has it been? I, I've, I've lost track of like how many years. <laughs> how old yeah. am I? I literally forgot how old I was the other day. And also, like, it's not our job to be keeping track of how many years it's been since <laughs> a production of God of Carnage on Broadway. It's somebody somebody else needs to do that yeah i don't know but wait wait so it's interesting that it's called god of carnage it's because alan says he he says i believe in the god of carnage and i think it's because his character is so based around being uncompromising about humanity's natural impulses well that's why he's the the best character i would want to play alan if i was in this play I know. Well, Christoph Waltz <laughs> is like so sexy in this. Movie. He's really hot in this play. He's my he's my he's... favorite actor in the movie. Like, I, I honestly know. like forget like Jodie Foster. Whatever, she's a little intense for me in the movie. I, I honestly felt okay. Were you feeling this way about the movie? I felt like the movie was a little. There were just some weird yeah yeah gaps. Like the pacing of the movie was very weird. It's I don't very know. Jinky. Yeah, I think it's because it's like filmed on a on a set like a film set like on a sound okay. stage yeah i don't know like the cuts were because i wanted there to be it more gave like... you whiplash did it give you whiplash uh yeah kind of but there yeah. wasn't they they never not once did the characters ever sort of talk over there wasn't any overlap in dialogue right. i don't know something about it was very disjointed where like the movie is good you can kind of gauge a sort of a basic sense of what the play is but the movie doesn't really capture the same momentum and musicality and energy but isn't that like Polanski's style like isn't Rosemary's Baby kind of like yeah I guess you're right about that wild cuts all over I don't know it's yeah. been a lot long time since I don't I've know. seen Rosemary's Baby also the I felt very cramped in the movie like it's very I know very claustrophobic. It's very tight. It's yeah. very tight. I'm like, oh, get me out of here. I didn't like it. Like, <laughs> watching the play, it's very open. But, 
yeah you can just like see everything and i don't know but that tight aspect of it really does like feed into it because then like the anxiety the tension building yeah that makes sense um oh wait i had a huge revelation about uh the vomit today in this play okay so you know how annette like she doesn't she's never apologetic about her smashing the vase smashing the flowers getting drunk Mm -hmm. and being insulting yeah it's interesting because all of those things and her destructive behavior that's those are all things that she does by her own will and when she does that by her own will and she offends people and she smashes things and damages property she never really apologizes the only time she does apologize for something is when she vomits all over the table and this is interesting because when you vomit that's something that she can't control you know it's interesting to me that she only accepts responsibility for damaging property and, you know, offending people when it's something that was out of her hands. You know, as soon as she vomits, she's like, oh, my God, I'm so sorry. I apologize for this. But the minute she does something by her own will that she actively chooses to do punitively, she is non-remorseful about it whatsoever. I thought that was very interesting right it's it's like and that's why i was like i uh, it took me like years to figure this out too because i was like holy shit like the vomit in this play is so random why is there a woman woman vomiting randomly on stage because she's anxious which makes sense but why does the playwright have her vomit instead of like cry or you know i I don't or tear some something up or like rip apart a uh, the why why doesn't she like rip apart the books or like but she vomits because that's something that she can't control at all when you're when you vomit you can't um control that with your own mental faculties your body i wonder you know i wonder if she has like a little bit of OC, ocd uh wait who um nancy the jodie foster character no um the kate winslet character yeah yeah I wonder if she has like an obsessive compulsive disorder. Um n- no. What I what I'm say- <laughs> what I'm saying is no, what I'm saying is like when when she vomits, that's something that she can't control. <laughs> so she's so quick to apologize for that because she's like it's out of my hands. Like that was something I can't control. When she calls the other parents child a faggot when she gets drunk on purpose when she starts spouting out expletives purposefully to hurt someone's feelings she completely is non-remorseful about that whatsoever and it just like Uh goes to show you that she has no capability of accepting responsibility for her actions whatsoever unless it's something that was completely like out of her hands you know what i'm saying Okay. Because yeah. I was like, cause the, all these years I've like read this play, I've known about this play. I'm like, wow, the, the vomit on stage is amazing. It's funny. It's hilarious. But why the vo- why does the playwright choose for this character to vomit instead of like cry or have a panic, like, or scream or do something by her own will? Why does this character do something bodily that your brain cannot control? Well, I think, like, the Nancy and Alan character are very, like, in tune with chaos. 
in a way that like um uh the michael and penelope character like want to control the chaos but like they can't mm-hmm. get it mm-hmm. um and so like i think like they just like understand the enormous weight of like uncontrollability I don't know. Yes, but but okay. But do <laughs> you understand? Late. But do you understand what I'm saying? Like, I yeah, I think so. Uh, it's getting late, you know. <laughs> uh, okay, but I'll, okay. So let me ask you this. So let's say Nancy, instead of vomiting, she um like flip. She just decided to flip the table. That's something that she deci- she would decide to do and right. think about. And think about the consequences that would come out of that. But because she throws up, that's something that she doesn't premeditate. She has a visceral bodily trigger because of her anxiety, mm-hmm. which is obviously pathological. But because she, nobody premeditates to throw up and then thinks about the consequences that would come out of that. People just throw up because they have anxiety. So she throws up because she's anxious and she immediately feels very apologetic and very you know immediately she's like oh my god I'm sorry I'm gonna go and help you clean up and I'm gonna go in the bathroom and I feel very embarrassed she doesn't feel embarrassed for acting like an asshole Uh later in the play by her own will you know what I'm saying right yeah don't you think that's kind of funny (laughs) (laughs) because I'm saying this is why I love this play and that's so smart Every and I've seen this play before. The vomit is hilarious. It's always so well done. But walking away from it, you're like, oh my god! Like when things happen that are out of your control, it's so easy to not accept responsibility because it was sort of in God's hands. You're like, it's not my fault. Like, oops, I had a seizure. I had to go. I like, did it oops. again. <laughs> yes. Or I, I just fainted. Like that's not something I can control. But maybe it's if the, I punch, it's but, the carnage. <laughs> it's the car. But if you punch somebody, that's something that you probably you think about, you know. Well, yeah, yeah. It's the natural carnage that like Alan talks about, like that well, natural. Here, well, like, that's okay. Well, this is a good conversation because then that <laughs> makes you. Then that makes me think about like, is our impulse to be violent and be disrespectful synonymous with vomiting? Like, is the vomit equally as natural as Kate Winslet call, getting drunk and calling people faggots and being disrespectful. You know what I'm like that. Right. Is, is it coming from the same place? Yeah. yeah. And similarly, I mean, the Kate Winslet character is always a character that doubles down on the justification aspect of somebody's actions. Like there always has to be an excuse with the vomit. There's like no excuse, you know? Mm-hmm. And I mean, with the vomit, there, excuse me, there, with the vomit, there is like an excuse because she's like, oops, it's I just got anxious. But with her, the, everyone's destructive behavior, like her destructive behavior, there's there's no excuse. And she doesn't feel any remorse for smashing the vase at the end, obviously. Right. But but I think that's what's a genius about this play, because it does make you think like when we vomit and it's something that we can't control, is it? just equally as uncontrollable as our animalistic impulses to defend ourselves when we're accosted by conflict. Well, 
Because like here's society, the thing. I'll society. give you an example. I, I got in a fight with an old lady in my building the other day because she locked me out of my apartment. Damn, Maddie. And I had a moment. I was like, am I going <laughs> to yell at this lady? Am I going to yell at her? And guess what? I decided I made it executive decision that i was gonna bang on the glass and call her a bitch and da, 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 you know she closed the door <laughs> she closed the door on me i smashed on the glass i was like you fuck it boop, 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 boop. um and then later i felt bad about it because i think because but is that have, because because yeah. i think your parents raised you to like respect your elders and so like i think like it's 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 um it's like a society it's it's almost society like you have to be taught behaviors like this like how to do the thing well and so that's and that's why you feel guilty when Mm -hmm. you don't do it or you cross that boundary because um you know like you were taught differently Mm -hmm. and so it fucks with your brain yeah it's almost like this Society is supposed to be like keeping these things in check. And that's why like I just when I'm had... in a classroom and I yeah. observe like how procedures and stuff happens. Like I, I notice like like students will like push boundaries a lot and they'll try, you know, and like as like a teacher, it's your job to like keep it in check. Mm-hmm. And yeah. And to I, like, keep to keep yourself in check it's almost like keeping down your vomit. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. Yeah. This play basically is about trying to keep down your vomit. Like we all have, we we've all been in those situations where like, I'm going to fucking say something. Don't make me say it. I'm going to say it. Here it comes. I'm going to say it. And you have to decide. And I, I think your character is really revealed to everyone when you exhibit remorse or you don't a lot of these characters i mean most of these characters they're unable to exhibit any sort of remorse or accept any responsibility (sighs) yeah accountability (laughs) do i want to be accountable for my vomit i've vomited many times and i felt bad about it but i've also called people like bitches and assholes you know well yeah and it's it's and i've never felt bad about it which makes you (laughs) that's why i'm a bad i'm just kidding well because it's like was it warranted yeah sometimes because sometimes violent i mean i hate to say it but sometimes like vomit is necessary well that's like that's the existential question that alan asks like he says in the play he's like you know there's there are some times in our life where we have to kind of put our impulses aside but like what are you supposed to do say a hail mary while you're having sex no (laughs) right yeah 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 god of carnage is basically about keeping your vomit down or or choosing to let it go up and then not dealing with the consequences of it (laughs) not yeah it's kind of like um there's a play called the qualms by Bruce Norris and it's about a swingers party at the end of the play they get in a huge fight or it's like the end of the party and there's this huge mess and you there's this huge gap in the play where it's complete silence and you see all of these characters pick up and clean up all the mess there's popcorn on the floor and it's like they're cleaning up their vomit and all of the mistakes and the horrible things that they said to each other they have to clean it up and accept responsibility and 
hold themselves accountable. And what's interesting about God of Carnage is that, okay, they clean up the vomit, but it leaves you wondering, do they hold each other accountable moving forward after the play ends? And I like to think that they do. <laughs> or they just put their differences aside. And they never talk about talk to each other again. Or like they just like move on and like in a in a very like manly way, kind of just like let it go. Like you because like you can like hold on to these things and like let it fester with inside you or like you can just let it go and the children let it go because mm -hmm. like in the end we see that they were hanging out with each other yeah that's what sucks about park. being an adult like you hold on to stuff I mean I obviously I think as you get older you let things go but we all obviously have that vomit impulse to like hold on to things and hold on to things. When you hold on to the things, it eventually comes to the surface. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's like, sometimes you do have to let it come to the surface, but then you have to be able to like clean it up and move forward. Yeah. But the thing is, is like with these people, like they didn't really, it didn't seem like they moved forward. They just kind of like sat in their own vomit for a little bit. Mm hmm and like swished around <laughs> yeah <laughs> they just like moved things around to make it appear like they resolved the issue yeah great play yeah great play um i could definitely see you like being uh like the jodie foster character and being like oh my god <laughs> my marcus aurelius textbook <laughs> I used I that in theater school. How dare you throw up on it? <laughs> I'm not as bad as she is. Granted, I don't have a book that I'm like, I is like that. Like I don't. My books come and go constantly. I, know, I lose I'm them I'm, all the time. I'm giving books away all the time yeah. to people. They're already damaged. They have gay little notes in them. <laughs> I mean, I don't write in books. I, I always like if there's something that I need to like take a note on I'll write it on my phone but like because I do I hate I, the yeah. idea of like I fold I fold the edges of my I'd like make oh I can't do that either wait really to me like, yeah because like I don't know I just have this like thing about like I guess like to me like books are almost like art pieces in a yeah, sense yeah that's true so maybe I would get really pissed if you <laughs> if you vomited on my books but it was a good passage. I wanted to mark it for you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just, but I'm not, I'm not as bad. I used to be very bad yeah. about like that type of stuff, but I'm, I'm letting go. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm learning to let go. <laughs> I just Speed the Plow by David Mamet. Oh, how dare you? <laughs> I know. Well, see, I'm, I'm taking a note from Zach Lanley Chi-Chi's book. In the sense that, like, what I admire most about him is that he'll read books that, like, people, like, will be, like, like, if I were, like, I don't know how he read, like, Andrew Dworkin, you know? Like, yeah. to me, like, that would set me on edge the entire time reading it. Well, I think no matter, if someone and wants I, to make a really corny argument that I don't agree with, what I'm interested in is 
sort of the linguistic aspect of it and if you posit your argument in a nuanced and creative way that would make me respect you as a writer right see that's why I feel like I need to read like David Mamet and like Michelle Foucault and Judith Butler and like all these people so that I can like be like I understand why they are the way they are Mm -hmm. and I can like have an informed discussion about them Mm -hmm. and like not and be like oh actually like I do like this David Mamet play Mm -hmm. you know what what I I did so many scene studies with Mamet in college it all escapes me and it's all a blur right now but well we'll bring it back we'll bring it back we'll probably do an episode yeah there's I mean there's many Mamet plays that are really really good maybe we'll read Olenia or whatever the hell that's called yeah yeah Yeah. whatever yeah um well with that said um vomiting or (laughs) (sighs) this is gonna be a great episode yeah (laughs) when's the last time you vomited um the last time I vomited um was New Year's Day 2018 and that's when I drank the three bottles of like rosé at the party (laughs) and I like I it came back Mm -hmm. it came back to haunt you yeah um I think I similarly also threw up 2018 New Year's Day I was at a work party (gasps) Wow. I drank, I think it was tequila. I really do love That's tequila. A, I do too. That's a really good one to throw up to. <laughs> yeah, it is. It really does get you going, I yeah. feel like. <laughs> um, no, and I think, yeah, it's only been alcohol. I don't have, I don't get nauseous in moments of anguish or anxiety. Also, That's just I not hate my style. the whole. I hate the whole like, okay, you got to prepare your body to drink alcohol now. Like drink as much Pedialyte the night before drink it the day after like no like suffer through it drink the coffee after (laughs) yeah yeah drink the coffee the day after just deal with it Mm -hmm. and embrace the the hangover yeah I yeah I think it's that's literally the last time I got sick to my stomach I don't know it's not fun definitely no, but you feel better afterwards, though. Exactly, it's part of the experience. Mm-hmm. Well, with that said, um, with Evil Thespian will be casting a production of God of Carnage in 2024. <laughs> um, yeah. Send yourself tapes now. <laughs> we're very excited. Yeah, we're very we're looking forward to it. All right. Who's gonna direct this? Is David Mamet gonna direct? <laughs> <laughs> he would be really good to direct i feel like this play Mm -hmm. definitely (laughs) all right well it's getting late so we have to wrap it up all right and scene